Hello, and welcome back to the show that looks into stunts and action on film and television. How are you? You've made it through another week. Well done. Uh, you can tick off the box or scratch it into the wall of the cell you are currently listening to from. Um, last week, we looked at Cutthroat Island. And this week, well, we're in safe hands with Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is referred to as a safe pair of hands. And I think that's why this particular movie... Um, did pretty well. You know, all things considered, Chuck's had a fairly standard, decent role uh, as an action character. Not necessarily an action hero. Later on, he kind of developed that action hero thing. But leading up to this, um, he'd been the Kung Fu guy. He'd been, um, you know, Bruce Lee's opponent in that the the Hirsute opponent of Mr. Bruce Lee. I always loved the, the, the part in that, uh, in that fight scene where Bruce grabs him by the chest hair and then kicks him and then has the hair in the palm of his hand and blows it out of his hand. It's, um, they kind of used all of that to the best of their knowledge. Uh, you know, he'd done stuff like um, ooh, uh, Good Guys Wear Black, Force of One, before getting this gig. And this was really about the whole TWA flights being hijacked in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, there was a great deal of that going on. And uh, Chuck was asked for an opinion. It might have been just, just prior to this film. I think he'd been given the green light, but it was just prior to it. And he said that America had become complacent and that they were going to lose the Middle East. Whatever that meant. And, um, and that if it was up to him, he'd send in the Delta Force. Well, wouldn't you believe it? Um, that's exactly what Canon Films, and more importantly, Menahem Golan who was the uh, the other mastermind behind Canon Films, decided to direct it himself. There is a rumour going around that he approached a whole bunch of other directors who wouldn't touch the whole project with a barge pole. But there's a lot of quite entertaining stuff going on here. And uh, once again, if you are not familiar, here is Chuck in action in the trailer. enemy doesn't care who they hurt, not how young, how innocent, how helpless. Collect all passports. Why? Do it! Strangers. They're making a mistake. United by the threat of death. There's only two of them! And there's so many of us! Find the courage. You take one of us, you better take us all. To defy their captors. I won't do it! It's a new age of terror that requires a new breed of warrior. One minute to showtime. 
We're members of Delta Force and we're here to take you home. America's elite anti-terrorist commandos committed to destroy the enemies of freedom because the stakes are more than pride. Sleep tight, sucker. More than honor. More than justice. American, I want to negotiate. Do you hear me, American? Loud and clear. Because they're fighting to save American lives. The Delta Force, starring Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin. America's new heroes. The Delta Force. So, there it is. The Delta Force. It pretty much tells you exactly what you need to know. Um, the hero, obviously, Chuck Norris. But, he is playing alongside Lee Marvin. And Lee Marvin wasn't the first choice for this gig. Uh, because Charles Bronson was to be the second in command in this picture. Uh, was signed. And then, a bit further down the line, film was into production and Lee Marvin's stuff uh, well that character of Nick hadn't been filmed yet and he pulled out he had another project to go into and uh, Lee Marvin was phoned at home by Menahim Golan and said we need you we need you to film this and uh, along he came and there's a fairly decent cast as well Martin Balsam uh, Robert Forster most importantly uh, as Abdul Although in later years there has been a bit of upheaval because in order for Mr. Forster to um, tackle this role, he had to use a brown face um, back in 1985. Maybe not considered uh, a major issue, but considered a bit of an issue later on. Uh, it's a very good performance, mind you. And he's the same. Robert Forster, of course, went on to fall in love with Jackie Brown. Uh, Joey Bishop is in the picture. George Kennedy is in the picture. Robert Vaughan, Shelley Winters. Um, so there's a whole bunch of really... I mean, it's not... It, if it had been a flop, you know, they all would have gone down together. But it wasn't a flop. It was took, took a fair amount of money, made for $10 million. Um... 10 million budget and took 17 17 at the box office back in 1985 that was fairly successful managed to pay off a few debts and get uh, bits and pieces done chuck norris of course uh, always keen to get family in um uh, eric his brother is in there as well uh, plays one of the guys uh, the uh, delta force team called andy uh, no other information on him there. But the stunt coordinator on this picture is a guy called Don Pike. Don had worked with uh, Chuck for some time. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Simon. And I'm James. We want to talk about those movies. Those supposedly bad movies. Those movies that bombed. To see if they weren't that bad after all, join us every other Tuesday on the For Your Reconsideration podcast. Part of the Pod Dojo Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and all your usual podcast apps. And it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs> Good guys wear black. Force of One. Silent Rage. Uh, Invasion USA. And Delta Force One and Two. 
There was a Delta Force 3, but it was just horrific. Um, it was called Delta Force 3 The Killing Game. Came out in 1991, I imagine, straight to DVD or straight to VHS, maybe back in 1991. And starred Eric Douglas. And you're going, where do I know that name from? He was the youngest son of Kirk Douglas. And, um, well, him and the rest of the cast didn't do terribly well. Sadly, um, uh, Eric passed away uh, very young. He was 46 uh, and passed away tragically. Um, So, Don Pike uh, bringing together a decent team of individuals. Uh, including B.J. Worth. Yes, that B.J. Worth. Um, for those who are familiar with their Bond uh, stunt guys. Um, another B.J., B.J. Davis. Um, John Epstein, or Epstein. I'm still not entirely convinced. John, I'm going to go Epstein on this occasion. John Epstein um, had been Chuck Norris's double for some time. And was uh, a, a, a really very, very good double. What's very confusing here uh, is that they use a great many shots of him in close-up. It's clearly in close-up. It's not him. You know, it's not Chuck. It's very clearly John. And you do ask yourself sometimes, you look at doubles... You see many, and I've seen many, many thousands of photographs of an actor stood next to a double... And you immediately go, oh, these very good. Separated at birth, these pair. What an excellent choice for a stunt double. Or you go, who in the hell is that? What's going on here? Why? Why has this guy been chosen or this girl been chosen to double this guy or girl here? Very weird, you know? Now, Epstein, Epstein, um... Nothing wrong. I mean, physically, and I will show you photographs uh, on on Friday in the YouTube show, making it very clear that the two of them stood together. You go, yeah, pretty good. But I suspect, and this might be just me, but I suspect that the only other reason that John Epstein was used as a stunt double for Chuck Norris is that possibly he was the only stuntman who was able or capable of growing a really decent mullet. Just think about that for a second. Look at the photographs of Chuck Norris back then, mid-80s. There's a definite mullet thing going on, you know. It's pre-circa to the um, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, it's, it's not completely out of control. It's definitely going... It's mullet-esque. And I think on the strength of that, there's definitely something there. Um, but does a fine job, great motorcycle work, uh, very fine motorcyclist. There's a, there's a very good sequence uh, involving the aircraft and, and of course, uh, uh, Chuck trying to get back on, you know, having a rope dangled down so he can climb up and get into the, uh, into the door. Um, he did say, though, in the making of, very good documentary, the making of, um, that he was able to use his motorcycle skills. Now, he does ride the bike in this. There's no doubt about it. But he certainly doesn't do 
as much as as Epstein does. You know, if if there is um, some stuff coming directly to camera or away from camera uh, or through shot, yep, then Chuck's good to go. But if it's anything involving a slide, involving a jump, involving a wheelie, then no, it's not him. It's definitely Epstein. And uh, a very fine double two. Uh, Don Pike has his uh, uh, brother Gary uh, on uh, on this picture as well. BJ we've touched on already. And um, another guy who was, uh, I suppose, assistant coordinator, if you will, BJ Davis. So a good team put together, shot entirely on location in Israel. And uh, we talked about that motorcycle a moment ago. It was a Suzuki SP600. For those of you in the know about two wheels, um, I wasn't a bit, I, you know, not the biggest motorcycle fan. I was a, um, um, I suppose nowadays they call it MotoGP, but um, I'm not quite, quite sure what we what we called it back in the, the 70s and 80s. The, uh, the 500 series, I suppose it would be called. But uh, Suzuki and Yamaha were ruling the world with um, um, Barry Sheen and Kenny Roberts and Randy Mamola. Uh, but this was a motorcycle used by Chuck in the picture. It was designed and modified with added weaponry and was actually given to the Golem Globus uh, team as a gift prior to filming. It's um, it's a very entertaining picture. Reviews aren't bad either. There are one or two psychopaths who reviewed this picture and said it was the worst movie they'd ever seen in their entire lives, and they hadn't seen Ishtar clearly, which is just shocking. So if you don't if you don't get a chance to see that, then don't. Uh, that'd be the best advice I can give you. Um, but uh, you know some very well-respected reviewers looked at this picture and said, you know, it's a really, really well-done action flick. And it is. You know, it's not going to win Oscars for its uh, for its dialogue. Um, its plot is sketchy at the best of times. There's a, there's, a, there's a basis to it, and that's all you need to know. There have been hostages. Are on An aircraft has been taken over. Terrorists have done this. There are hostages. The Delta Force must go in to retrieve them. And that's all you need to know. How they do that then unravels itself over the next two hours or so. And um, with Chuck at the helm and uh, Lee Marvin there as well, well, you're in for a fairly decent ride. And it is good stuff. Uh, the sequel that happened a couple of years later was called Delta Force to the Columbian Connection. Uh, good aerial work in that, I must admit. I remember that very well, very clearly. Um, is it as good as the first picture? No, definitely not. I think uh, this one stands alone, and the other one is, um, you know, they've, they've done the very best they can to think, right, how can we top this? And they've topped it in certain action sequences, but I don't think for a moment it has the same breath and freshness, maybe, that uh, that Delta Force had when it came out in 1986. Um, and so if you are a fan of Chuck Norris, who isn't, let's be honest, but if you are not a fan, uh, or if you are a fan of Chuck Norris, then do come back on Friday to the YouTube channel and um, check out our behind-the-scenes footage and our exploration of some of the gags that are going on so we can have a look at them and... Uh, 
um, analyze them. Some good stuff there. Um, uh, if you haven't seen the picture, go and see it. You've got plenty of time. Uh, go and see it. You've got a whole day, uh, so uh, or two days really. You could you could listen to the podcast today and then go and watch the picture later on or tomorrow in time for Friday. So that's all good, right? No issues there. And we will regroup on the other side of this. Uh, and uh, until then, it's bye for now. <laughs>